Welcome to the Viola-Centric Podcast. We are two curious violists finding inspiration through authentic and challenging conversations in the professional music world. I'm Liz. And I'm Steph. Let's jump in the deep end. You know, you're representing all of Double Reads right now. Don't put the pressure on. So to all of our listeners, you're hearing a new voice, and we're lucky enough to be joined by Alicia Maloney, who is an oboe player and a freelancer, just like us. And we thought, who better to join us and kind of either dispel these myths uh, that we're all learning about on Mozart in the Jungle, or, you know, just give us the real scoop about what actually... Um, you know, it takes to be be a freelance oboe player. That's right. For those of you who have been listening for the series so far, we we have had many burning questions that we can't wait, (laughs) can't wait to have answered. Oh my gosh, so many. There's so many questions. I'm so (laughs) delighted to be the voice of reason for the double read community. Thank you for choosing me. (laughs) I love it so much. So when this first came out, this first came out in like 2014, I think. Did you watch it back then? And tell me about because we had a conversation about how oval players are kind of into the oh, totally. series. I don't know, ironically, or, or how? Okay, well, I don't want to speak for everyone. But I will say for myself, it is a bit of an ironic uh, fascination with the show. I did watch it when it came out in 2014. Um, I think it was on my bucket list to do, but it really kind of hit me that I needed to make it a priority because I was getting text messages from friends from high school, basically, who don't know anything about oboe playing other than the fact that I play the oboe. So a lot of real world people, I guess, were texting me, is this really your life? So I, (laughs) I felt like it was my service, my duty to... To to watch and to see. Yes. Yeah. So how did those conversations go after you watched? (laughs) I think I might have told a number of non-musician people that, yes, this actually is, in fact, how my life is. Um, And then suddenly everyone was a lot more interested in my life. (laughs) Um, But no, I there were certain people that obviously who were asking more uh, specific questions that I was happy to discuss, you know, my <laughs> life and how it actually matches up to this very insanely exaggerated <laughs> TV show. Exaggerated? Really? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, we have put together a, a list of just these really amazing burning okay. questions that we've been they've been sitting with us we're just like have can't go on until we know the answers some of them um are probably pretty straightforward to answer yes or no uh feel free to expand on any as you see fit and um and we'll see how this goes sounds good (laughs) okay so first question pretty um straightforward question actually do you think that lola kirk who's the actress who plays Haley, is a real oboist or was she faking (laughs) okay uh she was faking uh her (laughs) amateur alone is really what gave it 
away for me. Um, she does a decent okay. job putting the instrument together, and the fingers aren't that difficult, but the embouchure. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. That is the. the we were wondering if the faking was good. It was so, better than some yeah. of the violin faking, I will say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a lot better. Yes. Mo- to be continued. Most yes. of the violin faking. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That is really, really great. Um, objectively, <laughs> is the oboe an easy instrument to fake versus the violin? Uh, yes, I think so. I mean, it, the violin is is awkward. Like, no one should really have to hold an instrument like that. At least the oboe is, you know, directly in front of you, and the fingers kind of That's go true. In, in a normal way. Yeah. It's very true, and at, at, you know we wouldn't know the embouchure issues actually. So as long as her mouth is around, yeah, the yeah. And in that sense, it wasn't like super obvious, but to an oboist would pick up on it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Good. I'm glad we cleared. They this obviously up. didn't have an oboist consultant. <laughs> they should have hired show. me. I was waiting. I was waiting for the call. Just spend the money. <laughs> Okay, so at one point, our our protagonist, Haley, says she's been practicing her oboe for five hours a day, seven days a week, since she was eight years old. So number one, is that is that a thing? Like, how many hours a day is it safe to okay. play <laughs> Yeah, oh, we've heard boy. all sorts of things about, like, the pressure in your brain. Yeah, like, back yeah. pressure, yeah. aneurysm, well, yes, et cetera. I hope it so. wasn't five hours straight, because that would be, like, completely <laughs> insane. I mean, you need you need a break. You need to be able to breathe normally. Um, I personally think that is wildly exaggerated. Uh, for one, most of us don't start when they're eight. Uh, that's not, I mean, some people will start that early. That's probably one of the earliest I've heard of, but most of us start a little bit later after they've played another instrument. Um, and as far as five hours a day for seven days a week, uh, I've never, (laughs) never heard of that. Um, that just sounds like totally extreme. I mean, as a professional, I'll play five hours a day because I have rehearsals. Um, right. But right. solid practice five hours a day, and then on rehearsals on top of that. But no. <laughs> okay, that's that tracks. Yeah. That tracks. Yeah, that was kind of what we suspected. <laughs> um, okay, so this goes into the. <laughs> This goes into something that we were talking about. I'll give you a little context. Um, we, we we had a discussion on one of the episodes about the tinkering that happens as double read players go. Um, what? Never and heard of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> we have this mental image of all of you with these like elaborate workshops and you're tinkering whittling away, away, whittling away at your reads. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, what are your feelings on making reads? Is this an enjoyable practice oh, for you? Uh, <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, some it's, sarcasm there. it's a bit of a love-hate relationship. Um, and it sometimes varies by day. Um, I don't think I necessarily love it for the most part. Um, it's just like a tour <laughs> that you have to do. Um, but the thing Mm. I do love about it, I guess, is that when you kind of get into a rhythm with it, um, it really becomes like a huge part of your voice on the instrument. So like we can't play other people's, or we can't play other people's reads for the most part. Um, 
because how you build your read is very personal and it really affects your sound. So when I am miserable at my read desk after three hours or whatever, I kind of find joy in it when I remind myself that like, oh, this is part of building my sound. Um, but the short answer is no, I don't enjoy it at all. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's mostly a chore and it ends up being like 80% of what we do. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the crazy thing is, you know, talk about five hours a day of practice. Forget yeah. it. It's like five hours a day of read making. And, and right? that actually, that would have been the better answer to your question. Uh, five hours a day of practice doesn't seem feasible to me because you're really spending a large chunk of your time making reads. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that makes so much sense. But yeah, <laughs> that's a lot. Thank goodness I don't have to like whittle anything to play my instrument. I know. But the development of sound, that's a very cool perspective, I think. And it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody's mouth is slightly different and you have different sounds you want to create and the instrument responds differently. And that's, that is a cool endeavor. It's just like probably the act of, I don't know. It's like a crazy thing. That's why podcasts exist. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. No, really though. (laughs) To keep people company while they're making reads. Podcasts are perfect for oral players. (laughs) amazing (laughs) okay so oh so is read making does it does it take up so much time (laughs) that you've had to miss out on parties or like social activities because you haven't made your reads oh i maybe i'm a really bad role model (laughs) because i i (laughs) know these parties um, I was just gonna say you're gonna say the right yeah, answer. No, I, I <laughs> yeah. don't often I wouldn't say like, oh, I missed out on all these parties because of read making. Uh, I certainly have to structure my week around making sure I make my reads. But I mean, there hasn't really been a scenario where I'm sitting at my read desk, devastated that I'm missing the <laughs> ranger down the street. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> okay, here's a doozy. We've got a good okay. one for you. Um, you you have experience playing in a pit yes. for a show, as we know. Um, have you ever? This is really important because okay. I think I think that there are musicians in other instrument groups that would like to know this um, just for their reference in the future. Have you ever been seated so close to the cellists in the pit? that you can keep the music for one of them. And if they're running late, you can like place it out on the stand and set it out and even turn pages if they need it. It's insane that you're asking me this question because I have a story that actually kind of connects to this. Stop. Oh no. Steph, Steph, there's a chance that you might have been in this performance because I know we used to play in the pit together a lot. Um, but during a Nutcracker performance, um, I was called in last minute to uh, basically sight read the the Nutcracker on English horn, and the English horn player sits. Oh, that is actually kind of close yeah, to the cellos. So I. Oh my gosh! And okay, okay. In this particular okay. pit, it was so tight that like the cellist, I mean, their arm is basically in the way of my instrument while I'm playing. But it's funny you mentioned the turning pages because. What actually happened was in the middle of performance when I was playing, I don't want to say it was a solo, but an exposed part where the cellists, I can't even remember if they were playing or not, um, but a draft went through the pit causing my page (laughs) to turn 
and I was in the middle of playing and this cellist who I had never really spoken to in fact some people had called him quite grumpy he, he I, mean, I think he was playing and he stopped playing to turn and uh he turned my page and he held it for the entirety of the page oh, while I played. Oh my yeah. god. He saved the, the day. day. Maybe it also might have been like he didn't want to play. So it was like, oh, now I can hold the page. But I can take a break but, real quick. But he held it. This is far more important. <laughs> he held it down for me for like a solid minute. So it's so oh, funny that you asked that's that That's amazing. Yeah. That is, uh, that is a great unexpected answer yeah. to that question because it was the answer we were all expecting was of course not. no no but no. you know this is this is the camaraderie that exists in a pit right totally <laughs> they'll step in and help each other out when you need it yeah i love it so much <laughs> yes okay so there's an episode here's the next one yeah. there is an episode where um they're doing a fundraiser <laughs> And they all go to this really fancy house and there's this child prodigy flute player who couldn't have been more than like 10 years old. Are there such people? (laughs) Are there prodigy flute players or prodigy oboe players who are like really young? Okay, so I feel like if you asked me this question like 10 or 15 years ago, I would have been like, no, there's no way because we all start later. Um, I feel like most of my Uh friends in the U.S., we played a different instrument before we started on oboe. Um, But now that, like, YouTube is really big, it's it's super (laughs) accessible. Like, you can see these recordings of really, really young kids who can play all around the instrument. So I think, yes, I think they're actually, there are, yeah. So, so lung capacity isn't something that is an issue, even if they're young. I mean, <laughs> that's what I was told when I was younger and yeah. why we start later. But like, I've definitely seen videos of 10 year olds playing Kacharity on the oboe. So, wow. I don't know well, what they're eating hey. over on that side of the world, but it's <laughs> different. <laughs> Just more evolved yeah. than we are. <laughs> yeah. More tenacious, that's for sure. Oh, what's the earliest you've ever, in the morning, that you've ever had a lesson? Oh, actually, my regular time slot in college was 7 a.m. on Fridays. <laughs> yeah, which, which. This, okay, this is all turning out to be much closer yeah. to reality. Than I we, think yeah. what we're learning here is that oboe players are just way more dedicated yeah. than string players I, are. It was, I don't know. I'm trying to kind of... That sounds awful. It was, it was terrible. Um, I, was, I was my teacher's... I guess, it, I'm sorry, it wasn't college, it was grad school, but I was kind of like, not really his assistant, but his helper and a lot of organizational stuff, and I would have to organize the lessons, and there were four or five of us in the studio, but like with the way people's schedules worked, it was like the only time that I could go was... 7 a.m. on Friday. <laughs> so that's oh not gosh. that far off from Haley, who has 6 a.m. lessons on Saturday mornings, which... I covet that we, extra we, hour, though. We're like, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, there's probably a big difference between leaving your house at before 6 and leaving before 7. Oh, yeah. But, right? Yeah. But, I, 
5 a.m. time is inhuman. I think so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. So if, uh, uh, along these same lines, what's the most that you would pay for a lesson? Ooh. Like, we learn, we learn that Haley pays Betty how much four hundred dollars for an hour lesson cash i mean we're in new york right so maybe but i can't say that i've ever paid that much i've paid over two hundred dollars yeah but i've never paid over over that much 200 would be my limit and that would be like a really special circumstance um right and i mean i'm not here to shun anyone on their lesson fee but in this in like (laughs) The show, if she's paying 400 something on a recurring basis, that's insane. Where is she getting Oh, <laughs> She's a freelancer. Where is she getting yeah, that money? Where did that $400 cash come from every week? I don't know, but I want that gig. $1,600 a month. I know. I know. What is that gig? <laughs> that's rent. <laughs> she's paying that little, stu- that little student's I paying her an exorbitant <laughs> fee. I'll take oh, that's him. True. I'll he take did. him if, they, yes. if he's looking for another. I forgot. Yeah, Duncan. Would you take collectible Duncan. stamps as payment if they were worth five hundred dollars? <laughs> <laughs> Very important question. Oh, no. um, <laughs> okay, so in one of these lessons, um, there's quite a bit of resilience training going on, and um, so <laughs> one of the things that she does is is tightly fasten this corset on Haley. Is that good resilience training for playing the oboe? Does that do anything for you? Um, <laughs> one of you had kind of, <laughs> yeah, I think your ideas with the whole adversity training is kind of where they were going. It basically, wearing a corset makes it so that you can't breathe deeply in your abdomen. It kind of forces the breath up high in your chest which is not how we breathe as oboe players which is what you don't it's want not right at all what okay. you want i wonder I'm, i love how i'm defending her right now i wonder if she's doing that to mimic like an audition circumstance or a performance circumstance where mm-hmm. your nerves get to you and you can't you kind of have that shallow breath but yeah i mean uh-huh. i think there are there are other ways to to mimic a performance situation <laughs> And avoid the corset. To accomplish that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe 10 years later, the corset is, is cruel and unusual. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the ice bath, yeah. which, yeah. The, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, trying to imagine doing that to myself playing, and that's just, I can't imagine a scenario where that's a good like idea. Very masochistic. Very masochistic. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Okay, so... What are the cheesiest pickup lines that you've heard that are directly related to your playing the oboe? Uh, <laughs> so, for example, when it's that. Alex is like... It's she, the thing you're going to mention, yeah, I feel like. like. that. Do your lips yeah. hurt? Or like... Something about something your about lips. mouth really. Yeah, and like... I mean, this is gross, but, like, if you can do that with a reed, then, like, what can you... You know, like, yeah. <laughs> that type of comment. Like, I don't know word for word, but I've, like, definitely had something yeah. of that sort said to me. A quick follow-up to that question, then. Did it work? No! <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have to say, the key to my heart has never been through the oboe, <laughs> so... <laughs> just... A 
attention, all people, eliminate any of your oboe pickup lines from your repertoire. No <laughs> oboe pickup lines. <laughs> Not good. <laughs> You heard it here. Yeah, yeah, that that resonates. I I feel like same with me. I don't think complimenting the way how fast my fingers go on the viola is a way to get to me. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, hilarious. Okay, all right. Pop quiz time, Alicia. Assuming that you haven't rewatched everything and your this is fresh in your mind, how many oboe parts are in Mahler Eight? Uh. Four or five? I want to. Is it five? It is yes. five. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> how we how we know this? Because Haley oh, she's is, fifth... has played. She was right. the fifth She was fifth chair. <laughs> and of course, her and Lizzie lose their minds about being fifth chair. Right. She's going to be fifth chair. It's like the most exciting thing in the world. So, have you ever completely lost your mind at the thought of being fifth chair? <laughs> Well, actually, fifth chair is a highly coveted position when you're a freelancer if you're just looking for quick money because you usually only play on one movement. So, like, yes, <laughs> fifth chair is kind of... I have played a fifth chair position and most of the section is usually angry at you because they're like, oh, you only get, have to come in Cause you get to yeah, for yeah. one-fifth of yes. these rehearsals. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> so go fifth chair. <laughs> <clears throat> so about those fifth chair parts. Yes. <laughs> would you ever feel so nervous about coming in for fifth chair that you would practice the same <laughs> phrase over and over and over again? Uh, and is this effective practice? Okay. Well, The funny thing about her practicing that over and over again was that that was also like a 2D passage where every single instrument is playing that in the orchestra. (laughs) So I don't understand why she was hammering that so hard because often in those fifth chair parts, there is some exposed material. It's usually on English horn. So I don't know why she was practicing that so much. Um, but, But no, it's... It's not an effective way to practice. That's an effective way to get tendonitis or to drive yourself insane. Um, Usually, you know, a certain number of repetitions is sufficient. Then maybe check it again Uh later. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Especially if you're not making mistakes. It's like, why why keep going, you know, belaboring? And I think we've we've learned a lot about practice in the... (laughs) In the last nine years, yeah, it does seem that way. Um, Now, in terms of orchestra seating, this might be a pertinent question for some. Um, Would the fifth oboe chair be seated left of principal oboe? Uh, No, and follow-up answer, they would never give the A. I I, I have to say, like, I actually, I haven't rewatched some of this uh, a lot of the series but i distinctly remember that moment she's never forgotten no because it's burned in your memory we were it, too we were like it would never it would be it would be such we a so slap shocked. in the face to the principal it also i mean if the union got involved like you know the second can't give give the the tuning note i mean it's okay. let alone fifth. let alone fifth fifth sitting in the second chair position 
Oh man, it's it's just such a cringy scene. Like, I, yeah, that one's burned in my memory too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, okay, so in that episode, <laughs> Haley gets fired. You know, yells out an expletive in the middle of rehearsal, and then she gets booted. And then, as a backup, they pick the Berlioz Hungarian March. They just print out eighty-two copies <laughs> right away. So how many par- how many oboe parts does that have? And is that something that all oboe players know? Absolutely no idea. <laughs> is that is that actually? Okay, which is so funny. Uh, like, that's such a good I, question. I don't know. I've yeah. never played it, and I yeah. And and in the the reason we had that question in the episode was because Betty looked at her and was like, "This doesn't have a fifth oboe," and she's like, "I don't know." <laughs> Very defeated. Like, like this is just casual conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really ridiculous. Have you or anyone you know used the oboe in a prod- provocative pose to seduce an object of affection? <laughs> uh, this is an iconic scene. Uh, oh iconic my god, that's episode. You. Oh my god, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> This might shock you, but no, I have not. <laughs> and I That's true. We did establish earlier that's not yeah, a good it's not like a sexy. I try to keep that's them not a separate. Sexy association. Yeah, yeah, and I I can't think of anyone who has. But uh yeah, you'll be the first to know if I ever do encounter that. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so if a person who did that then gave you, gifted you that very expensive oboe, <laughs> how much would you have to clean it? Oh, to play God. it yourself. <laughs> uh, I would absolutely be handing that off to a professional. I don't think anything I could do would sanitize it enough. There's no amount of no, swabbing that will make it not. okay. No, <laughs> that's that's going nowhere near me. <laughs> oh, amazing. Okay, some more some more really uh, burning questions. <laughs> Um, have you ever performed an impromptu street concert with an interpretive dancer and the oboe at the same time? <gasps> no, but that's on my bucket list. And I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out. Like, I feel like I've been in exotic places with my oboe. And if the, if it just came to me one day and felt like I could make it work and someone wanted to dance there, I would do it. Yeah. Love it. Oh, Love that's that. great. <laughs> And um, have you ever referred to your oboe as your axe? No. I feel like I've heard... <laughs> horn? Your horn? Uh, my horn? Yeah. I've, I've referred to it as my horn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, was the, that was the debate we had going. We're like, axes feel like string instruments. Yeah. Too. Never an axe. I've definitely called it a horn, but not, not normally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, just for all of us to know, do you have a name for your oboe? I I do Pierre. Oh, <laughs> he's, Pierre. he's French. I love that name. He's yeah. French. Pierre, he's the French, French oboe. <laughs> love that. Amazing. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. That's amazing. Uh, thank you for humoring us with all of these burning questions, Alicia. This is going to be so great for our listeners. I hope I clarified. Now we finally have <laughs> yes. definitive answers. Got, got to learn some things today. And you were surprised by some of the stuff too. So. <laughs> Namely, yes. yes. Namely, not that separated sure. from reality yeah. in some cases that we thought it was. They did good. <laughs> they did. 
did. They did okay. Yeah. All encompassing. Located in a historic mansion in Tacoma Park, Maryland, you might get the impression that the team at Potter Violins are as formal as the breathtaking building that they work in. But when you go inside, instead you'll find the most relatable, skilled, and friendly staff. Yes, the people at Potter's are what really make it a special place. I love visiting because I know that whoever I work with is not going to make me feel like I'm crazy or just being picky. They're kind of like your favorite bartender. They're great listeners who give you what you need without judgment. (laughs) Yes, their technicians are not only super talented, creative, and resourceful, they take the time to collaborate with you so that the process of getting your instrument at its best really feels like a partnership. So if you're in the area, definitely stop by and introduce yourself to Chris, Rob, Kimberly, Derek, Jim, Melissa, and the whole team, or visit potterviolins.com to find what you need online. It's so fitting then that their shop is in this beautiful old house because the staff at Potter's really makes it feel like home. Season three is sponsored by the Arkrest. You know, Liz and I are always being asked about our Arkrests, and we're happy to share how much we love them. The freedom of movement has been life-changing for me. Me too. And I love how using the Arkrest allows my instrument to vibrate fully. And depending on how my body's feeling, I can also change the placement of the bass. Although Aaron and Tigran started the company in their home workshop, they've come a long way, continuing to innovate by experimenting with harder and softer woods and even new materials. fiberglass. There are bases for violin, viola, and even for small fractional instruments. And there are foam pads of different thicknesses, so you can find one that fits your body or instrument perfectly. And the guys over at Arkrest are sharing a special discount code for our listeners. Use the code VIOLACENTRIC for 10% off anything on their site. Yes, check out their offerings at thearkrest.com. That's T-H-E-A-R-C-R-E-S-T.com. And don't forget to use the code VIOLACENTRIC. Being freelance musicians means gigging in lots of different places with very unpredictable lighting situations. Oh my gosh, yes. How many times have you shown up to a church gig and wondered if you'll actually be able to see the music by showtime? Many times. Or it's a cocktail hour in a restaurant with ambient mood lighting at best. (laughs) We've all been there and have used those alien looking bendy lights that only light up the top of the page so that by the bottom of the music, you're sometimes just guessing or maybe we'll call it being creative. We didn't know it at the time, but the Aria lights could have saved us lots of eye strain and unplanned improvisation. Yes, and with a rechargeable battery that lasts eight hours, you'll never have to carry backup double A's in your case. You'll just charge it up at home and take the Aria Light to your gig. The battery will even hold a charge for years between uses, not that you would go that long. Thank you so much to Aria Lights for their support this season. Please check them out at ariolights.com. So we're finally at the crescendo of the season. We've reached it. <laughs> We've reached the crescendo. Oh, no. <laughs> it's so upsetting. Sorry, you guys. You know I don't mean that. Apex. <laughs> yes. The culmination word? of the season. It's climax. the finale. Let's just call it the climax. It's the climax. Okay. I'm okay with that word. <laughs> that word is we're fine, all everybody. It. It's fine. <laughs> we're evolved here. So the episode opens with... Alex and Haley, and they're clearly cozy again, which I was really excited to see, actually. 
yeah. at the outset of this episode. Yeah. And they're looking at photos from Alex's body spray campaign that he went down to Florida with that sketchy guy to do. And um, they're looking at them and he's like, oh, these are okay. They're just kind of cheesy. Of, of my butt. Of my butt. And Haley's admiring them. She thinks yeah. they're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, Alex says, just kind of out of the blue, have you ever thought, I think I'm going to think about going into modeling or acting instead of dancing. Yeah. It's having and an I was existential. Like, yeah, because those are much more stable <laughs> careers. He's <laughs> having kind of an existential moment, it seems like. I think he, he does mention the beat up of his body. And I think that's something dancers yeah. do face. And they have such an, a quick expiration date. You know, it's like mm-hmm. the shortest, saddest career mm-hmm. <laughs> is being a dancer. Oh, I have a quick question for okay. you, Alicia. Uh, so do oboe players, do you get to a certain age when it just becomes less, like your body just doesn't support playing the oboe anymore? You know, I don't think I'm anywhere near reaching that age, so I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not saying you personally. I'm saying um, one. I would assume, I guess what I mean is I don't actually know the age that that happens, but mm. I feel like... I'd, you know, at some point in your life, breathing becomes harder and breathing is fundamental to oboe playing. So I feel like yeah. I see a lot of people retiring in their 70s. So yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, not no, young. not young. It's not like, not obviously, not. and like I don't think it's one size answer. fits all. I think it's just depends when, yeah. when the breathing starts to go. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Back into the episode. So Alex is having these these existential thoughts. Yeah. It's hard on his body. It's hard on Tanser's body. And he starts to spread his toxic thoughts to yeah, Haley. I was gonna say I was I, kind of yeah, this upset is the, about this. It's like one thing to go through your existential dilemma. It's another to be like, I mean, what about you? He gets very judgmental. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, just like, what, are you going to go for this forever? And I mean, I understand where he's coming from. Like, I like that he says, maybe it's okay if we don't want to do these things we say we want to do when we're five years old. Like, that makes a lot of sense. But just like, it's your thing, you know? Like, yes. Leave it. He's clearly projecting it onto her. Yeah. He wants, you know, misery loves company. I'm having these doubts. You should be having these doubts too. And it sucks. Yeah. And she nopes right out of there, which I think is good for her. Yeah. Yeah, she's like, okay, you can deal with this one. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. And then we go to the... Then we're right in rehearsal. And this is such a meaty part of the episode. Okay, so Rodrigo has convinced Anna Maria to play the Sibelius, which I'm sure she can play the crap out of, but we all know that she's not really... Her heart is not in this type of music making (laughs) anymore. And he's kind of coerced her to be there. So she's there. And she started she's playing it's beautiful the Sibelius. at first, somehow. It's beautiful. It doesn't look beautiful, but it sounds beautiful. <laughs> she's playing also, it left-handed, the, which is the her air shtick. faking is yeah. really bad. Yes, yes, yeah. terrible faking. It's really bad. Truly terrible faking. Yeah. It's like yeah. so stiff. I think the stiffness is probably the biggest issue. That's what I notice actually in most of the string playing faking is like, if they taught them to be less stiff, it probably wouldn't look as bad. <laughs> But when yeah. they're moving it but, like a like a rope, like. <laughs> but I was just thinking, okay, so what do you think that the actual audio, live audio, sounds like from uh, one of these faking sessions? Uh, because none of them actually know what they're doing, no. and if their bow is on the string it's and they're just like noise. sawing back and forth, can you imagine? They should do like yeah. a limited no. edition oh. release of all the like sound from the soundtrack. Like <laughs> yes, unedited sound. Producers, if you're listening. <laughs> We'd love yeah, to be the first market. to air that. <laughs> we'll review it. 
So she doesn't last long before she throws a temper tantrum and she criticizes herself for being flat and then she attacks the viola section for being too allegro, which is insane because everybody knows if anything, we're going to be too slow. Yes. (laughs) And it was during her cadenza. So what the the heck are we supposed to do? They're just sitting there, those innocent violists, and being attacked for being too allegro. And Dee Dee, you know, Dee Dee's like, oh, I'm not high now. <laughs> she sniffed that out really fast, though. It was kind of impressive yeah. that she was like, are you high? Yeah. 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 She's nothing if not hyper aware. Yeah. You know, she's like too sensitive to everything Yeah, around she's her. very sensitive. Could you she's imagine a working soul. with a soloist like that? Well, okay. So I had this question. I've had this question often sitting in orchestra, watching a conductor and a soloist kind of like be at odds about something. And I'm like, is a solo performance for the soloist to execute, express their intent? Or is it for a conductor to execute their vision about the piece? Mm. I mean, ideally, it's a collaboration, right? But who do you defer to? And I, I've seen so many soloists just get all walked all over by a conductor. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is their, yeah. you know, interpretation. Yeah. Shouldn't they get a little bit more say in this? So yes. I was I was curious about this moment. What I'm, think, I'm team soloist. For sure. Same. Yeah. And I mean, that's Same. who the audience is paying to hear. <laughs> they don't right. need the conductor's interpretation. Yeah. Right. I often feel this and very palpably depending on the conductor. I, I really notice this a lot. In some situations, it's very clear that the conductor is skilled at following what a soloist wants to do and then getting the orchestra to really like supplement that sound in a beautiful way and then you get to the part where just symphonic pieces being played and it's not as strong because that is that requires a different skill set from the conductor and vice versa Mm. i've been in situations where it's Mm. the symphony itself is like so rewarding to play and everybody feels so creatively inspired because the conductor has that skill and then they get to accompanying the soloist and they really struggle with that you know so it's Mm. interesting interesting because I would assume then the best of the best are able to to vacillate between those two hats that they're wearing because I totally agree I think the soloist is in charge I had this one experience with a group that I will not name but Joshua Bell was the soloist and we were just playing Vivaldi Four Seasons so very straightforward music but he was clearly not okay with the way the conductor was trying to relay whatever he was doing with us and he ultimately just said can I just conduct it myself that's what he wanted all along that's what I was going to say yeah. Josh Bell he just wants to conduct it all along and I mean with Vivaldi he doesn't think anybody can do it why as not good as, as good as him why not with Vivaldi like you know yeah. I mean it, you don't need you don't need a conductor for Vivaldi so it works really well right. actually as soon as he as soon as he was the one up there everybody was like like in line, you know, it's just like really interesting how that stuff works. But it's but a, a soloist should, but they should feel strong about their opinions, right? Like, I mean, yeah, like to your point, you know, if they just let an orchestra conductor kind of walk all over them, then they're not going to get the same kind of satisfaction out of the performances they would if they mm-hmm. were just able to like freely express themselves. Maybe he's just tired of that. <laughs> he's like, I've been doing this long enough. <laughs> I'm in charge. <laughs> So I don't know. Then she's like insulting the orchestra. It's like extra, you know, she calls them Mm -hmm. mediocre and... (laughs) 
and Bob comes to the rescue. For once. I was like, okay, break well, time. Rodrigo's begging Union Bob. Bob. Sort of. Yeah, I felt like Rodrigo was like fishing for the help. And he's been, yes. please. He's been yes. on like, like, please let the it be whole break season time. about like on top of the breaks. And he almost hesitated this time. I was like, this is your one chance. <laughs> your one chance to be the hero. But I mean, he did, he did do it. <laughs> so Haley and Betty have this little offstage conversation where Haley asks a question you should never ever ask especially after like one lesson with your super hard to read teacher she says she wants to know if she has potential and if she can actually make a career of this and Betty is way less than gentle with her yeah yeah um and it was brutal and then then she ended it I wrote this in my notes because it was so bizarre. She delivers this like horrible truth, which is her personal policy, and then says, now uh-huh. pardon me, I've got to tinkle. And, walk- <laughs> and walks off. <laughs> it was like a mic, a yeah, mic drop moment. <laughs> I've got to tinkle. Ruthless. Yes. Yeah, I was wondering this. Like, I don't know if I've ever had the balls to ask any teacher, do you think that I've got no. what it takes to do this? Have you? Okay. No, I can't remember if I ever, I had some pretty honest conversations with my grad school teacher, but you know, one of the things is she was like, can I get into this orchestra? And Betty's like, Mm -hmm. no, you can't get into the big leagues. Like you won't get into the big leagues or whatever. And I thought about that and I was like, you know, yeah, like in terms of the audition process and everything that's entailed, is it better to be like realistic about those things? Was it delivered terribly? Yes, but that's Betty. Like she's been rude to her. Every interaction they've ever had, she's been horribly rude to her. so <laughs> this is this tracks. Um, mm-hmm. And then I don't know. I just feel though like I have this one anecdote and it was not myself, but somebody else was playing a freelance job and was sitting with someone who's, you know, kind of a like warrior freelancer for decades and decades and was fishing for, I think was fishing for positive feedback about the way they were sitting in the section and was asking for feedback. And this person yeah. was like, not very generous with them. And it cut them down. And it was like, well, you know, I mean, there's two sides to this. <laughs> it's good to get feedback but if you don't want to hear the feedback that's another story <laughs> yeah. so we like to think that we can do everything we want to do though so maybe it's mm-hmm. it's interesting because i have mixed feelings about how that storyline kind of wraps up by the end of the season <laughs> yeah which we'll get to <laughs> So the orchestra is kind of left stage. Rodrigo is comforting Anna Maria. And she's having these feelings about she doesn't do this type of performing anymore. And so I think it's a struggle with authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, she's like, this isn't who I am anymore. And he's asking her to do this thing yep. because he's changed. Yep. So anyway, it was a poignant little moment. And then I wrote, I think she needs to get laid. She's <laughs> <laughs> got that chastity belt <laughs> ruining everything (laughs) that's why she's so tense and like high strung yeah come on (laughs) i was wondering how rodrigo became the stable one in this episode because (laughs) 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 because Haley walks up and he's like asking her for his tea and she's like i don't think i'm cut out for that like she's like falling apart and then she's like this isn't your problem and he's like all right i gotta hold the ship together like he really kind of stepped up that is true he's like the one who's talking everybody down yes so he says 
at the end, he's like, I'm going to cut rehearsal short because I have to work out some interpretation things with the soloist, obviously. <laughs> and he's like, oh, and I'm going to send you all individual cars to come pick you up and bring you to the concert tomorrow. When are they going to rehearse I- all of these interpretation <laughs> changes? <laughs> They're just going to show up at the concert and it's going to magically come together. I don't know. Well, it turns out they don't even need to rehearse because of what happens anyway. So what happens later? (laughs) It would have been wasted time. (laughs) It was meant to be. P.S. I realized this is crazy. The person who was sitting principal viola, I just gigged with her like a month or so ago. (laughs) Oh, really? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to a violist named Nora, who I met like yeah literally that's so a month funny. ago <laughs> how funny and I'm, I'm like i recognize that oh my gosh okay she's a real instrumentalist <laughs> so the next scene we're back at Haley and lizzie's apartment and lizzie has sold some stuff and she's wants to blow the town she wants to take Haley to traveling to spend all this money and she bought Haley a sweet suitcase and she's like let's go and I love this I I think Lizzie is the best friend I love her very much I stand Lizzie the whole way through this whole season she's my favorite character she also says you have a dream you have a life you have an oboe and I thought that that should become like the universal slogan of like middle school band directors who are like trying to recruit (laughs) oboe players like oh perfect that's the ad campaign yes you have an oboe Beautiful. <laughs> oh, and then we we see the next scene. We see that Thomas is back. He's made it. So yeah, he runs into Rodrigo, who's biking happily through the street, and um, <laughs> Rodrigo is thrilled to see him. And Thomas is weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's clearly not gotten himself quite right again. Yeah. yeah. And then we see Haley back in her apartment starting to practice and then she decides that she is not going to practice so she takes her oboe apart it's just a very quick little scene that kind of reinforces her disillusionment with her current career path have you been there oh i've been there i think everyone's been there at some point yeah yeah you take your instrument not ready not ready and then you're like not today (laughs) yep so everyone is arriving back at the concert hall for the performance in their private cars, which I'm like, how many cars did he have to hire? Like so many individual cars. cars. So many cars. Oh. Um, and we find out that the orchestra is starting to be- become like more in favor of what Rodrigo is doing, his vision and everything. They're kind of taking him in as one of their own. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was just thinking about this, like the idea that they all arrive in their cars. You think about like, you know, other performing artists and how they're elevated to this level among their fans. That's like, I'm the one who arrives in the car. Like I'm the performer. I'm the artist. I'm valued. And I think that was what he was getting at when he was saying, if they're all arriving in private cars, you should all be arriving in private cars. And maybe that's getting to the musicians. Like they're starting to think, okay, yeah, like what I do is really valuable. And that's a good point. I like that perspective. I think, I mean, it's massively wasteful. (laughs) But, but, But from the like, from a conceptual standpoint, I like that idea, because it's like, no, really, we should be the ones that are like, people are like, oh, there's the person who plays fifth oboe (laughs) (laughs) and one of these cars is not going where it's supposed to go and i very quickly realized this was on purpose but we'll get we'll get there (laughs) betty is in her car and she is freaking out because this driver is telling her violin jokes not viola jokes want to point that out 
and that are completely inaccurate yeah yeah <laughs> and don't make any sense <laughs> no, I, that that is a totally a viola joke, and he just said violinist instead of violist, like that yeah, they can only play said, in one position. Yeah, <laughs> that's not yeah. a violin joke. But anyway, um, Betty is like, "What are you doing? Why are you taking this route? Like, I don't understand what's happening." And we're gonna find out what's happening with that mm-hmm. before we do. And then we flash to a backstage scene between Cynthia and Union Bob, and Bob is unexpectedly so cool. quite a gentleman. <laughs> I was expecting him to be like, you know, totally obsessed and kind of following her around like puppy dog. But he was like, hey, I understand this was the one night thing. And it was wonderful. It was the third best night of I my know. life. That actually kind her of made face, me feel terrible. Her face, when he, like, her face when he said it was like, oh. <laughs> Only oh, surpassed by the birth cringe. of his child and his wedding. <laughs> Union Bob needs more I mean, excitement in his life. <laughs> he needs to get out. Union Bob does. That is yes. saying a lot. <laughs> oh. We find out that Betty has been intentionally disappeared. <laughs> Basically, someone's been hired to drive her around so she that so that she misses the concert. Yep. And opening night is starting, so she's definitely at least late right now. Oh, and Rodrigo is like, You're getting in you're getting in there. So he's <laughs> showed up at the concert that no one has rehearsed for. And Haley has showed up. She looks great. She um, looks concert ready, Lizzie, you might even say. <laughs> she does. Except she's not wearing sleeves. That's guys. true. That's true. I know. And her dress is probably too carelessly yeah. short. I could not stop staring at her arms. I was like, they're bare arms. She's going to be in trouble. <laughs> Personnel manager is putting me on her. Yes. <laughs> and then we see that Lizzie came to her show. Yes. Lizzie is the best friend. Yes. And she's sitting next to Brad Sharp of Podcasting Fame. Be Sharp. <laughs> Uh, and they him. have this He's weird being... chemistry, like a weird interaction with each other. Yes. So he's being super self-important. He's like, we should use this line, Liz. You probably recognize me from my voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's our new line, Liz. Totally. Yep. You, you probably recognize me. You from probably my voice. recognize me from my voice. <laughs> but we also learn here that Lizzie now prefers to go by Elizabeth. She's a changed woman. This character needs her own show. She needs her own show. And she is a changed woman. Yes. I fully, fully understand this dilemma. I did not like being called Lizzie ever, ever, ever. But I quashed that far earlier in my life than Elizabeth did in this show. Okay, now we get to see the fact that I put in all caps, OMG, I knew it, and freaking ridiculous. Oh, that she gets put in? That Rodrigo. Did you also see? Yeah, see. Wait, did you also see that Marlon had the nerve to show up at the concert? Oh, yes, 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 I have that. With his new mark? (laughs) Yes, with his new mark. (laughs) I had that written down, too. With this this older woman. Yeah. It's funny. Yes. Anyway. (laughs) Okay, so the conductor of all people saves the day for this assistant of his and gives her an oboe seat by derailing the principal which by the way in a concert would you ever want this to happen that's like i feel like maybe not to toot my own horn but i feel like a principal oboist is one of the members of the orchestra you would not want to be missing (laughs) you would not want your second oboist to have to step up and siree the concert and bring in a totally new oboist to fill the section he was so chill i mean he i know he orchestrated the whole thing but yeah he doesn't concern him himself with like those things i guess (laughs) it's just so ridiculous it's extra extra ridiculous and i think you know i i don't know how truthful this is to the story of 
Blair Tyndall's life, I assume a lot of liberties were taken here. But in my mind, I'm like, but this isn't really proving anything. I feel very strongly that many, many, many musicians can play in an in a top tier orchestra, but like winning the job of a top tier orchestra is a whole other story. So it's not necessarily contradicting what Betty says. It, of course, she can sit and play uh, clearly and sight read it and be really, really good at it. But it's an extra ridiculous. Thing. Strongly agree. <laughs> She's getting her lucky break. I think that's true, too. I think that we don't recognize or admit the amount of luck that goes into being successful as a freelancer. It's yes, you have to be able to play. Yes, you have to have be professional and be on time. Yes, you have to have good people skills, but you also have to be in the right place at the right time. And all those things come into play. I think there's a lot of luck. And I could totally see this happening. Like somebody from the sub list, like maybe not the conductor intentionally like disappearing the first oboe player, but the principal oboe player. But I mean, definitely being asked to step in at the last minute. I've been there. Yeah, I've been, yeah. I know, I've been Alicia, there, you've yeah. been there too. We've all been there where you had to like, jump in and sight read something and you just pray that you do a good job and because you do a good job you get asked back and that is a lot of um, circumstance yep that goes into it yep so the concert is kicked off Ana Maria is I I actually kind of love her in spite of her insanity there's something I really like about her she's just unabashed she doesn't care she knows who she is she knows who she is and you you get this moment of tenderness before she goes on stage that it's like she loves him and she's trying to do this for him as yeah as unsuccessful as it's going to be i think we all kind of knew i was holding my breath for sure i was hoping i was hoping i was really hoping <laughs> yeah but she goes up there they start the concerto bucking tradition oh, well, first by of the way. all no overture pardon no overture should they start with the concerto Good for them and the audience is like yeah absolutely riled it's like up a rock concert give it it's yes the most enthusiastic audience that i've ever seen i've never seen anyone give a standing ovation before yeah. the concert even started <laughs> they did a program change too so like i feel like typically that's not Several. met with like such enthusiasm it's like <laughs> right. Yeah, even that late that Marlon's friend was like, I thought they were yeah. Mahler. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So Anna Maria, the piece starts. She's playing with no chin rest. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yes, no chin rest, which is I mean, no shoulder rest. That's what goes on the bottom. Nope. I can see that. Many violinists, violists play without that. But no chin rest. So silly. Like on the top. <laughs> Weird. Just silly. At least Thomas calls out the fact that it's a lefty violinist. Yeah. And he's like losing his mind. And when she starts, it's beautiful. Well, whoever yeah. whoever's playing whoever's for playing her, it. good job, whoever that yes. is. And then it doesn't last very long. She implodes. Can't do it. Can't do it. Just, I will not stand in front of this third-rate orchestra playing for these bourgeois pigs. Mm-hmm. So she wants to she wants to leave. Yep. And storm off stage. And she wants Rodrigo to come with her. Yep. And Lizzie, rightfully so, is incensed. <laughs> or I mean, Elizabeth is incensed. She's in the audience and she's like, that crazy bee just effed up <laughs> my friend's debut. <laughs> yes, yes. I love it. But Rodrigo, don't, he won't leave. No, no. This is his orchestra. These are his people now. That's. Did you guys catch so he... when he talks to the audience and he says that the orchestra has immense potential, but I know we're not there yet? I was like, yes. <laughs> I was in the orchestra when he said that. I would just be like, rude. Like, I'm not going to play. Like, <laughs> Right. <laughs> like way to 
just like insult them right before they have to perform. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. It is. It's it's very uh it has community orchestra vibes. Yeah. But apparently it's very hard to get into <laughs> per Betty. Yeah. You know, there's like seasons of orchestras. There's the life cycles of orchestras. Maybe the sure. New York Symphony is just in its end season of of wintered professionals. <laughs> and, you know, the rule is that they get their position until they die or leave. So, you know, maybe they just need a little new life <laughs> breathed into them. I think it's reasonable to expect that an orchestra may have lost some of its luster, even at the top tier, because I think complacency is a real thing in some of those jobs. Whether or not you talk about it on opening night Openly, to, the audience. to the audience and to the orchestra yeah. right before playing. <laughs> Meanwhile, the whole audience is like, are they? Are they not up to their potential? I don't know. <laughs> Where's all my donor money been going? <laughs> But they, they're ready to patch it up, though. They have a plan B. And Warren, the concertmaster, is like, oh, yeah, I totally have Sibelius in my back pocket, memorized <laughs> yep. to play for everyone right now at this very moment. Yep. Rodrigo grabs an instrument and uh, is going to join the section. And Thomas gets asked up on stage to conduct, which is like the most logical if he's truly a conductor, right. he should be able to do that, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, how many times? So but apparently he hasn't done it since 1989 in Rio de Janeiro. 89? That was that was how he was familiar with the piece. That that was his little remark. <laughs> yeah. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> yeah. This is played at least it, once a Sibelius year. Violin, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Sibelius Violin Concerto is pretty standard yeah. rep. Yeah. Yeah, certainly yeah, he would, would have done, done it. it at Thomas's age and experience level. He would have done it more Absolutely. than just once within 25 you know, 30 years, years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. but he needs to get rid of the cobwebs in his head. So he forces Gloria to slap him really hard. <laughs> and he's like, all right, I'm ready to go. Get, get me in the game. Okay. I'm sober enough now. It's all so much of this had like sports, sporting event vibes, which oh yeah, I'm certain is for an audience of non musicians. Like, how can they relate to what we're going yeah. through if not mm-hmm. to shape it like a sporting event? Yeah. Oh, yeah, put me in, coach. <laughs> yeah, vibes. And this is where the little solo of the viola comes in with the complimenting the oh yes so warren is playing the solo and he's doing a bang-up job yeah it's just although he he cannot fake either he can't fake island either it's bad yeah so stiff yeah it's almost worse yes absolutely but the performance is a success and they're popping bottles after the show and who is this fella who's like i once did pr for insane clown posse (laughs) but these people are the marketing guy we met at the very beginning oh yes okay i didn't recognize him yeah but they're clearly feeling their uh post-concert high everybody is yeah rodrigo and Haley, especially yes so this was like the most awkward kiss ever Uh, and no one (laughs) reacts no one around the room they also didn't react it was like instant makeup so weird yeah no one saw that it was extended (laughs) and there were a lot of people there i wrote was it an accident Right. I mean, we've been waiting for this. I thought it was going to be a much more like romantic and intimate moment. Yeah. And... I do not feel their chemistry at all. No. I sense zero chemistry. It's weird. It's, it feels so contrived. Yeah. 
Yeah. But did you see the way they were looking at each other in the orchestra concert? Yes, Um. I know. They had eyes. Yes. (laughs) It's just a crazy thing, though, like all around to be kissing like that at the party afterwards and then just turn around and like resume talking to someone else. I'm ashamed to admit this, but I did rewind it and watch it twice because I was trying to figure Ah. out. Okay, no. So this could be a debate, but he kisses her in like a peck way. And then I feel like yes. what I saw was that she mm-hmm. actually kind of initiates the more aggressive and then oh. they both go at it. Yeah. And then it. he was, okay. I think he's like, I he agree. says like, hi, lie after like kind of like reacting, like he didn't expect that from yes. her. So I think she yes. was actually uh-huh. kind of more of the initiator. I agree. Mm. Yes, that is what I noticed too, was that it wasn't initially supposed to be a makeout kiss. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, I'm going to go for it. She was just like feeling the high. Maybe she was super grateful because she got to play. This is what I do after every and major concert. opportunity I'm given. <laughs> I mean, maybe it was like just a difference in cultures. Like he's European, right? Yeah. So he kisses everybody, yeah, yeah. probably on the lips. And she was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, definitely will create some drama leading into season two. That's for sure. Yes. So Thomas is back and he's um, talking with Cynthia. And apparently this pill popping habit that she has is is a habit. And he knows about it. And she's been doing it for a while. And he wants her to stop taking the pills. Mm -hmm. So do we think that she will? No. No. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, for sure. I also don't really believe that he's stopped drinking. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. I think he's still <laughs> not quite right. I don't think he's figured his stuff out yet. So we'll see. Pending yeah. drama. Brad Sharp is smitten with Elizabeth. Yes. She introduces him as the one who's smitten with me. Yes. And I just love her confidence. <laughs> yep. And they're going to, I think Lizzie. it seems yeah. to me like they're going to go travel. They're going to do the trip. Oh, they'll yeah. go do the trip and Haley will stay. She'll use the suitcase. She asked he'll use the suitcase. he'll yeah. okay. in the suitcase, I think. Is, but <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, they're going to travel. Maybe it's they're like, going to yeah. do some journeying together. <laughs> she could be a guest on the podcast. Them. Yes. A co-host, if you will. Yes. And then Betty arrives finally from her epic odyssey around the city. And she congratulates Haley. So clearly the temperature in hell needs to be checked because she is, she's actually congratulating Haley. She's like, you did okay. Yeah. Brutally honest. Yeah. Brutally honest and honest. That's That's what we expect from her. Yep. That's her brand. Yep. And then we see that Alex has showed up unexpectedly and he kisses Haley. More awkward kissing. Very awkward kissing. Yeah. So she's going to be torn, I think. She's got one man who believes in her and the other one who projects his insecurities on her. Mm. Who will she choose? And that's how we beat the season. Yeah. It's going to be a wild ride into season two. Yeah. Alicia, thank you for being here. You know, for as many times as the cellist Cynthia is able to refer Haley for gigs, we will gladly refer you for all the gigs that people ask us for. Oh, you guys are amazing. Thank you. Whenever anyone asks me for an oval player. Whenever I get asked, you're you're gonna get Just called. route them to this podcast first. Uh, <laughs> then yeah. they know what they're getting into. No, but thank you for being such a good sport. This is a great way to wrap up our little our little side fun project of doing Mozart in the Jungle this year. It's, Thanks yeah, for having it's been me. Fun. It's great to have you. It's been a blast. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for listening today. And thanks also to our season sponsors, ArcRest, Potter Violins, and Aria Lights. Another thanks to Alto Clef Gifts, where you can purchase viola-centric shirts and mugs and a variety of other fun items featuring our beloved Alto Clef. If you loved today's episode, consider writing us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And if you want the chance to hang with us and have access to behind-the-scenes audio and video recordings, check out our new Patreon. Our episodes are edited and produced by Emily McMahon and Liz O'Hara Starr. The Viola-centric theme music was written and produced by J.P. Wogeman and is performed by Steph and myself. Thanks again for listening. Let's talk soon. <laughs>